Thank you so much for watching. I'm Dr. Daniela Stein, and this is Gerda Hayden that I have with me today. We're still talking menopause. We've done this whole one hour chat about menopause, going through what is menopause, covering all the basics, really wanting to help you, equip you, empower you to take care of your own body, really to own your own health, to thrive through menopause. We want you to live with optimal health through menopause. We're passionate about menopause. Yes. I'm a medical doctor with a special interest in menopause, in lifestyle medicine, in women's health, in nutrition. And Gerda is a pelvic physiotherapist with a special interest in menopause. And she's really an expert in our area where everyone, all of us refer our patients to Gerda. That's why I really wanted Gerda to come and chat to you today. I have a thick pile of questions that you sent me asking Gerda to answer this. And we did cover a lot of these things with our chat about menopause. I am going to go through these questions though, just to make sure that we didn't miss anyone. Will you just, in a summary, say what is menopause? Okay. Thanks, Daniela. Thank you for your introduction. So menopause is literally a day and time. It's a natural event. I really want to highlight that, that it is uh, going to happen to every woman on this planet. Um, the mean age of that occurring is age 51, with sort of a swing um, number between ages 45 and 55. Ask your mom or any other female relative in your family when they underwent menopause. That will give you a pretty good idea of when you are likely to reach menopause. And um, the concern just with that, I find, is without toxic exposure it's to this earlier. Yes, unfortunately, so we yeah. are exposed to a lot of toxins, pesticides, plastic products that we use in our beauty products. There are these, we call them xenoestrogens. It's, it's products that mimic estrogens. Yes. And it confuses your body because your body thinks that it's real estrogen. I have to secrete less estrogen because I'm getting this estrogen in. It, it has a whole... And that's that. That's quite a whole topic on its own. I have an ebook that you can have a look at my website that you can download. It's a free ebook, how to balance your hormones naturally. But it really talks if you, if you want to balance your hormones, you must look at that exogenous estrogen exposure. And some estrogen we know about that we get from cows that are given estrogen or that yes. we get from cow milk, we know about those things. But then there are a lot of pesticides and chemicals that can cause it. That's why we see puberty so much younger and menopause earlier. And all of them affect our fertility. Absolutely, yes. And so so menopause is uh, a reflection of a reduced function of estrogen. And uh, we typically start transitioning into the perimenopausal phase about a decade earlier. Um, so in your early 40s, and that's just, um, again, you have a finite amount of eggs and they are decreasing in, in number. And, and as you transition into perimenopause, you might not be releasing an egg with each cycle. And so um, that is what this whole peri and menopausal phase is all about. And then we can also see at the end that what we were saying is you might still fall pregnant at the end, even though your menstrual cycle is irregular. So to always be conscious of that, consider a form of contraception or condoms when you're getting to the end, if you do not desire fertility anymore. There's so many myths around menopause. 
So let's dig into them. Let's do it. And then also what we have to stress about the age, you said the mean age is 51, but it means that a big portion of you, because everything kind of on a bell curve, the mean age is at 51, but some of you will be going through it at 40, some might be going through it at 60, and you might not recognize it at 40 when you go through all these symptoms, you might not understand it. So we are here to help you, to empower you, to explain to you, this is menopause. When you experience yes. these things, this is what it is. Yes. So this is your natural menopause. Then there's something like induced menopause. What is induced? If I, as a doctor, cause menopause on someone, what's that? Okay, that's a much more radical onset of menopause. It can be due to surgical removal of your um, ovaries in particular. If you just have surgical removal of your uterus, you will stop menstruating, but the ovaries will still be secreting estrogen. Um, so that can be a cause for induced me menopause. Then we have radiation and chemotherapy, um, either to local tissue or just in general to the body. It's, it's, it takes a big toll on the body. And so that can um, stop menzies, so it can induce menopause. And then we also have over the counter, or not over the counter, but medically induced menopause if we are taking certain medications to treat other disease processes, and that can also induce menopause. Earlier, and then when someone goes through significant stress, mm -hmm. loss of a loved one, something significant, you might go through menopause with something that's very big. I've seen that in patients who email refugee patients that I have now that are, if they'll tell me, my mom was like five or seven years older when she went through menopause, but just coming to Canada, going through this whole process, their body just said, I can't have a baby now and yes. deal with what I just had to deal with this past two years and it just stops, stops. and it's yeah. menopause. And we know now that it's menopause because the period didn't come back. If you go through that stressful period, you might have it for three or six months, not a period, but if your period didn't come back, we can look back and say, okay, you're definitely in menopause now because your period didn't come back. Okay. So, and we kind of chatted about like when natural menopause occur and we, we, I always, I'm so careful to use the word natural. I do realize things might be, natural might be different for different people and we're cognizant of our patients and audience who doesn't identify with specific genders. So even when we talk about women now, we are talking about a phenotype. If you do have that uterus, if you do go through these hormonal fluctions at now. So what happens in your body during menopause? Why do we go through it? Because what we said is most animals, there's only four species of animals that goes, does go through menopause. Why do women go through menopause? What happens? What, what causes menopause? Mm -hmm. So like I said, we have a finite um, uh, amount of eggs in our uh, uterus, in our ovaries, and we uh, secrete an, an egg every month, which is what starts puberty, um, and then that egg um, gets released into the uterus, and we get the thickening of the uterus, uterine wall in preparation for implantation. If that doesn't happen, your body figures out, hang on, there's no baby here. It secretes progesterone, and that sheds the lining, and that is what's known as your period, so the bleeding. And we have the cycle repeated month after month for our fertile years. And then we start sort of declining our, our egg stock. And that is when we start transitioning into the perimenopausal state. 
So we might find that on certain months we don't have an egg released. We find that there are fluctuations in hormones. It's, it's part of an aging process. So it has to do with our fertility and our eggs, but also with just hormones and how they relate to each other, what levels they are and how these fluctuating levels are perceived by the body and the symptoms that and come. And how your body responds to it. And we'll go deeper into the certain experience. And everyone experiences it differently. For some people, it's more abrupt stuff. For some people, it is very, if you just think how you went through puberty. For some people, their hormones were all over the place. Some people went very smoothly through puberty. And the same happens with menopause. You know that everyone experiences it differently. Yes. So how is menopause diagnosed? Retrospectively. It's if you look back and you realize, oh, hang on, I haven't had a period in 12 months. That literally that day, that anniversary of the last menstrual period 12 months ago is the day you reach menopause. And so it's a big topic and a big word for literally one day on in your life. And then after that, you are postmenopausal. But everything we're talking about, the big topic, it's not really for that one day. It's the perimenopausal phase. Absolutely. So that, that's our heading is that really perimenopause. So a lot of people come and see me in my family practice and they ask, can I just test their hormones? Because they feel they're off. And I've always found that very tricky as a family physician, because if I am to test your hormones during your perimenopausal phase, say we do blood work, our general covered by Ontario Health, government paid blood work, that just test for certain things, your levels might look perfectly normal. And it's very likely just because your levels fluctuate to such a degree that I might send your blood. And it's still important to see your doctor because there's many other things that happen at the time. You're at a higher risk for diabetes. Your doctor will test for that. You're at a higher risk of getting higher cholesterol. Your doctor will test for that. Your thyroid can be off with the hormonal fluctuations. We often see that your thyroid will be off. Your doctor will test for that. But I find it frustrating when someone knows, my patients find it frustrating when they know something is off. They want me to diagnose to say whether they're perimenopausal. But because of this fluctuation, if I do your blood work today and tomorrow and the day after, the values might look different. And that doesn't give you the answer you want. So you don't have to do any blood work test to diagnose menopause. We don't diagnose menopause by blood test, we diagnose it by symptoms. That being said, there are testing available now. It's not your mainstream paid for by government testing, but there's amazing testing that if, when patients come to me, I always say, oh, you don't have to test. But if they say, but I wanna know, I wanna test. Yeah. We do have this testing available where you can look at your levels and, and we test over a couple of days or look at urine over a couple of days we we can send dry urine samples away where we look at your estrogen progesterone levels how it fluctuates where we get a much clearer picture of what happened over the course of a month and you can repeat that again at six months at a year we, we can trace much better and see you know what your estrogen is a little bit low your estradiol is a little bit low your progesterone a little bit you know to, to tailor but if you're listening now and you don't have access to testing we don't we don't have to test. It's really something that goes retrospectively. The diagnosis, but our management not. And we manage symptoms. So, and we'll delve into that later, but we're gonna treat symptoms. We don't have to treat menopause. Menopause is not a disease. Yes. It's something natural that you go through. It's something that we have to celebrate because that really signifies that you're now going into this next phase of life where you really 
momentary, you have more wisdom, you're a leader in your community, you're a leader in your family structure. It's something that we want to celebrate. We are here to guide you through it so that, that you can celebrate it, that it's not as hard. And we're going to treat symptoms. So if your symptoms are your vasomotor, sim vasomotor symptoms like hot flushes, you're going to treat that. If your symptoms are dry vagina, we're going to treat that. But we don't treat menopause, we treat your symptoms. Absolutely. And just as a sidebar, um, a lot of healthcare professionals actually really appreciate if you have done some tracking of yourself or of your own. So there are great apps um, that allow you to track your, yes, your menstruation, but also just perimenopausal, not perimenopausal, premenstrual PMS symptoms. So what is your mood doing? What um, Do you find that you've got more bloating, more breast tenderness? What is your mood like? Your sleep, your anxiety? Really track those. They can often be a great tool to enter into discussion about tailoring whatever we use to really fit your profile mm. rather than just broadly speaking, um, I feel I'm murderous all the time. Um, let's let's get some frequency, let's get some intensity uh, down on paper, so about six months worth, and that can really open up the, the conversation in a way that can we can make it more tailor-made to your needs. That helps. That is crit critical because if someone comes to me and says they want to be treated for menopause, mm -hmm. you know, we don't have a treatment for menopause or perimenopausal symptom, but we're going to treat your symptoms. We're yeah. going to help you. What do you need? Every person that I've ever had from my clinic, their treatment is different. Every patient that you've ever had, treatment is different. It is, it is so person-specific how you experience it. So what are the symptoms that our audience can anticipate if they go through menopause? What must they look out for? Because that is something big. People sometimes come in with a symptom and I'll ask, could you be menopausal? And they'll say, oh no, I'm too young. So what must they look out for? So the two cardinal signs that we equate with this transition is hot flashes, night sweats, and um, definitely vaginal dryness. That's a discussion often in my That's clinic. from a pelvic physiotherapist yes. so we get So we get hot flashes um, and night sweats. That's this sense of like overwhelming heat building up in your body. You are flushed. Everyone is aware of you having a, a hot flash excessive sweating, especially at night. We have weight gain, uh, and arguably that's more a change in body composition with loss of lean muscle and um, gaining of fat, especially around the abdomen. So a lot of women complain of that. Um, mood changes, anxiety, depression, uh, an, an altered resilience to stress. So they feel more overwhelmed by, by life, by stress. And then we also have um, some changes around uh, function, just stress rearing incontinence. Again, that's in, in my practice, but uh, cardiovascular function, they feel they are more out of breath. They uh, can't exert themselves to the same degree. And so, yes, a whole myriad of functions and it all pulls back to what estrogen actually does in your body. And so once we understand estrogen's function, we can sort of start putting things together when it doesn't work optimally anymore, how that presents in the human body. And I didn't want to interrupt you, but what you were saying about the mood. So one of my patients, when I, because I always ask, what age did your mom go through menopause? What was your mom's symptoms? And she says what she remembers about her mom, 
my mom would just cry all the time. That was honestly, she and her mom didn't talk about like my mom told me everything about her menopause. We knew too much because we would like try to find all the herbs and natural remedies for menopausal symptoms. Her mom didn't talk about anything, but she just recalls her mom was crying all the time. And then later, her mom was not that cheerful. And earlier in life, her mom was not cheerful. But, but that's her recolle recollection. You yeah. know? So if you do find that you're just crying all the time, you don't have to suffer through it. There is help. And we, we spoke about that earlier. But while I'm on the topic as well, if you have significant mood symptoms, go and see your doctor. Go and yes. see a counselor. It's critical. It's nothing something you have to suffer through. Even if you say, okay, this is just menopausal. I just need this treatment or medication or help now still get it for this two years and then afterwards if you don't have your symptoms anymore you can stop it you don't have to be on your medication for life you're going to use it while you need it so we have the vasomotor symptoms the effects on our cardiac health yes risk for diabetes and then our mental health symptoms those are typically why we would see people having painful sex or discomfort with sex, vaginal dryness, bladder infection. That's most commonly why we in the health world yeah. see people regarding menopause. Then people want treatment. So some people come to us saying that um, I please want some natural management. I don't want hormones. Yes, we can definitely help you. That's what we do in holistic healthcare. We help people. And then for me as a doctor, a lot of people want hormone replacement therapy. So these are options. And, and we did talk about that, but the specific question here is, do you have to use hormone replacement therapy? Okay, mm -hmm. loaded question. No, the answer is no, you do not have to use hormone uh, therapy. Let's just delve into that a bit more and, and unpack that. Okay, so hormone therapy is looking at replacing the estrogen that you are no longer secreting as efficiently on the same amounts is, is replenishing that. And we know now that estrogen cannot function well without progesterone. So I made this analogy earlier, but I think it, it resonates with a lot of women that estrogen is your fertilizer hormone, it makes everything grow. It's, it makes things lush and plump. It, um, it's it's a, definitely a promoting hormone. Mm. And then progesterone is a calming hormone. It's, it's literally the lawnmower that comes and cuts things down. So hormone replacement therapy now is really looking at uh, more of a combination therapy, especially if you do still have your uterus, to make sure that we are getting the best of, of both worlds and really optimizing your functioning. So that's, that's hormone replacement therapy, and we can further subdivide that into systemic. So if your symptoms are more global, if you are getting hot flashes throughout the body, if you have brain fog, if you are just feeling very anxious or very depressed, so it's affecting your entire being, then we would probably describe oral um, hormones or estrogen um, we can also use patches. Those are have also shown great results. And then if we have more local symptoms into the pelvis, then we can have a local application of these hormones into that into the vagina. And then we're not getting the systemic uh, benefits of that. So that's hormone therapy, systemic and local. And then on the other side of that, we look at lifestyle. Before we start with lifestyle, because that was the next question. So are there risks to hormone therapy? Mm -hmm. What is the risk to hormone therapy? So can 
you yes. quickly say why do we not automatically put everyone Correct. when they reach 40 years old on hormone therapy? So the risks with hormone therapy are have a lot to do with uh, blood clotting. So we have an increased risk of stroke, of deep vein thrombosis and pulmonary embolism, which is just essentially a clot in your in your lungs. And these are fairly big risk factors. We also have found that there is a risk for gold increased risk for gallstone formation and then also endometrial cancer. Um, the more we study this, because there's definitely an upswing again in, in figuring out is this a good idea for women, is that these risks start really showing up if we start hormone replacement therapy a decade after menopause has actually started. So if you are interested in hormone therapy, the closer to age 50 that we can get you on, the better. The, the more the benefits of it, the older we get, we start finding that the, the risks are actually outweigh the benefits. And so... So it's important to understand that mm -hmm. because I feel often, I know when my, and I mentioned that when my mom went through menopause, I just said, come off this hormone replacement therapy. And because of the studies, but you really have to look at it in perspective, and that is why if we do put someone on hormone replacement therapy, we reassess after five years. Yes. We say, what is your risk, your benefit? If you're a smoker, I won't put you on estrogen mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. that significantly increases your risk for, for blood clots. But then if you get to a point where you say, I'm going to jump off this cliff if you don't give me estrogen replacement now, I'll say, okay, yes, now the benefit is definitely going to outweigh the um, risk, but you have to stop smoking. Absolutely. I won't give you both. You know, so we look at everyone. Who are you? What's your genetic risk? What does your cholesterol look like? What is yes. your health history? We we do it with menopause. We don't, as in the studies, give it to people at 90 years. We give it at the time when you're going through menopause. Then you get maximum benefits for for your heart, for your bone density. So so that, that's quite important. And, and you mentioned everything and the endometrial cancer as well. That is why if we do give estrogen, we give a little bit progesterone as well to protect your uterus because you said it's a fertilizer. So if we just give estrogen and that uterus will just get thicker, 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 thicker. Yes, you're at increased risk of getting cancer. So what we do is we, we balance it with progesterone. Yes, exactly. So that's it. even if patients tell me they, want, they don't want a pill, they want an estrogen cream batch or a cream. And, and it's not the estrogen cream we put in the vagina. It's a different estrogen cream that's absorbed systemically, but you put it on any thin skin like your thighs, I'll give an oral progesterone that second half of the um, period to kind of mimic your cycle. If women tell me I really don't want to be on my period anymore, I'll give the progesterone every day, not two weeks on, two weeks off. Yes. To yes. protect your uterus. Absolutely. And there's also speak or talk now of maybe even getting ultrasounds scans yes, of every the, year. Of I the, do it for my patients on of therapy the every year. Endometrium, just let's keep an eye on that on that lining thickening mm. and what are this what is the cell quality like? So um yes, there's there's definitely ways out there to make sure that the dose we give you suits your body and actually has a desired effect. So we definitely want the lowest dose for the shortest amount of time. That is that is sort of the healthcare motto. That's what the North American Society for Menopausal Health is all about. Shortest, shortest time, lowest dose. Let's see how we go. Rather than and we reassess it, we don't just refill the prescription exactly. back to the pharmacy. No, we we reassess. I'll bring you in. Go through your symptoms. Understand 
what are mm-hmm. you coping with? Because maybe initially your symptoms were such that you needed systemic therapy, but maybe at this point you can, we can just treat your hot flushes with, it's a type of a blood pressure medication that we use if it's only hot flushes. We use herbs and lifestyle. So that's a big thing. That's why I opened my wellness clinic to help people guide you through if you decide you want to go natural, but you need a doctor to hold your hand. Lifestyle. That's my thing, lifestyle. So let's talk about that. Yes. So in functional medicine, we we look at sort of cornerstones of lifestyle. So we look at sleep, we look at nutrition, we look at movement, we look at um, your social support um, yeah. structure and, and what that looks like. And then... Which is a big thing, which I didn't really recognize before I went mm-hmm. into wellness. And now also that we have gone through COVID and because everyone that has some type of support structure, you would go to work, you'll meet other parents at hockey practice, you had your book club every week, you had your Bible study group, people had people. And only now that we went through a period very strictly in Canada where we did not have any social connection for a very long time, yeah. more studies have been done showing how important our community was. So so that is, yes, that's really something I didn't realize was a pillar of health is your community. And it would be good for you to recognize that. So when you do go and see a lifestyle doctor and when you look at your own life, you're going to look at your food, you're going to look at everything, but you can continue. But please yes. look at that. It's yes. a big thing because yes. it slip off people's thumbs so easily. But I didn't understand that before I read all the studies that was done that showed that that is going to predict how long you're going to live, how healthy you're going to be, what your risk is of dying of a heart attack. They've done these big studies where they, for example, they looked at a big group of nurses with breast cancer. And then they found that the group of nurses who had 10 or more friends were more and lived longer. They were less likely to die from breast cancer during that 10 years that they followed them than the group of people who were socially isolated. They did a big study um, with heart health. People who were socially isolated were more likely to die from a heart attack. It was the second biggest risk factor after smoking. So smoking was your biggest risk of dying from a heart attack. And then your second risk factor, bigger than your risk of cholesterol, diabetes, blood pressure, everything that I know to treat was social isolation. So I encourage you ladies, find yourself a tribe, a group, other women that goes through what you're going through at the same stage and connect with them. Find find the group online, a support menopause group. It, it's critical to go through this. Yes, and I, I, I'm gonna add one other thing. Choose wisely. Yeah. Um, I'm, I wanted to do this in the last podcast, but I'm going to read this quote by Oprah Winfrey. And she says, so many I've talked, so many women I've talked to see menopause as a blessing. She said in her own magazine in 2019, I've discovered that this is your moment to reinvent yourself after years of focusing on the needs of everyone else. Oh, and that's beautiful. Yes. That's so profound. And so um, I just, I I say choose wisely because for a lot of women, it's it's the the really the myth around this is I'm going, to, I'm going to get fat, bitchy, and irritable. Like that's and I don't want to be that. So we don't talk about it because we don't want to be seen that way by society. And we live in North America, most of us. It's it's youth obsessed this culture. Like we don't want to see women aging. And now we have Jennifer Lopez and Nicola. Nicola, Nicole Kidman and um, Penelope Cruz and Julia Roberts and all these famous stars and actors 
hitting menopause and transitioning past it, and they still look fabulous. They are perceived as sexy. Um, Jennifer Anderson is another one. Let those women be your inspiration. We're going to be living postmenopausally, arguably as long as we've been fertile. And so if we can just surround ourselves with with women who inspire us and who bring health to the table and wellness, then that is the tribe to connect with. I've had some really like bitchy, like, where it's just, it's a negative, it's a bit of a pity party. And I'm, I want to really change the narrative and go, no, this, this can be a moment to reinvent yourself, to relook at what works for you. What boundaries do you need to set? What relationships do you want to nurture? What, yes, like, let's thrive through this. Because they say that you become like the five people that you spend most of your time with. And then even if you feel that you you have a very strong internal locus of control, you're not going to be influenced by people. If you are with people complaining all the time, you are going to be like more negative. So be intentional. That's why it helps to really, and you spoke about an app to, to track your menopausal symptoms. I personally like journaling because you can put it on that app. There's always a place where you have your menopausal symptoms where you can write things and, and really reflect what makes me happy and what and who sucks the life out of yes. me. Yes. Then you start avoiding those people who suck the life of, out of you. If it's a family member, you can. It's not a kid. But if it's a more distant family <laughs> member, you can be more more cognizant of that and and restrict the time you spend. Yes. You don't have to call that family member every day who has a miserable life because you're their only lifeline. That, that we call that codependence. You're just enabling them to have a miserable life if you're the shoulder to cry on every day. So so to really be intentional every day when you go and write down your menopausal symptoms when you write down. Also write, even if you don't have the energy to write, just give your day a number. Is it a 10 out of 10, an awesome day? Or is it like a zero out of 10? I can't live this way. And then if it's a zero, please go send help. Look for help right away. Stop watching yes, it right yes. away and seek help. We want to improve your quality of life, but if you need help, seek help. Seek a counselor. Yeah. Critical, if you're in an unsafe relationship, seek help if you're important. But then, if you're recognized, is it the five or six after a family gathering or after you've been to the girls at book club and you come home that night and you have a four, then don't go to book club anymore. If you at work and you come back at three every day, maybe you must look for a new department. Maybe you must transition to a different team. Just be cognizant of what gives you energy because you really know at a phase of your life where you don't have to please people around yeah. you anymore. You really know, you have that wisdom, you have that maturity, you're, you're at your peak. You're now going to do what is smart for yourself. It's hopefully your kids are grown enough that it's not just about them anymore. But then even if it is at a phase, you know, where it's still about your kids, you're going to be more intentional, more mindful. Because the better mom you are, the, the better you are, the better mom you can be. You can be better for everyone around you. I'm digressing. We're still at non-hormonal therapies for menopause. That, that was the question. The, and, and a couple of questions like that that I try to group together mm-hmm. about the normal hormonal therapies just because that's such a big part of what we do. And you were talking about the corners. So we look at anything is better with better lifestyle. So one of the things that we really look at is your diet. Yes. Your diet is critical. Your happy hormones get made in your gut. Your gut, we call it your microbiome, consists of so many bacteria. If you do something like you've been maybe on birth control for a period of time, 
we've been on antibiotics, all these things really disrupt your gut bacteria. The foods that we eat disrupt our gut bacteria. In any processed foods, any toxins, chemicals, pesticides on veggies, all of these things can be very harmful for our gut. So that's the first thing we look at is diet. Right? Absolutely. And we want it to be anti-inflammatory. That's and So I know there's a lot of dietary advice out there around keto and fasting and paleo and what have you. According to the research and the studies, a Mediterranean-style diet seems to tick all the boxes for longevity and health. I'm not talking crash diets and fads. Um, so lots of nut seeds, oily fish, fruit and, fruit and vegetables in season, um, a certain amount of lean protein, and then lots of grains. So, um, And that's a big thing that... Because irrespective of what diet if someone comes to me and they're on a vegan diet or they do eat meat it is but is it a healthy diet so we look at processed yes the food that you see is it the way that it walks around on a farm or is it made in a factory because i used to we were vegan for a bit and i used to think that vegan is very healthy but now i see a lot of my clients who are vegan but they just easy i'm not judging it at all but it is easier to eat foods that you buy at a shop that comes out of a box, but then as soon as it has hydrogenated oils, as if it's manufactured, processed in a factory, you lose all those health benefits. So, so it's quite critical. Now that you go through menopause, make sure everything that you put in your mouth, is this building me up or is this breaking me down? You're gonna have cravings because you're gonna have some micronutrient deficiencies as you go through this. But then to think when you have that craving, am I really craving chocolate or am I maybe craving calcium magnesium what is it and, and to replace those things yes in that in that tar time absolutely so that's a whole food diet and i push when we do work out a diet for someone we really look at your mitochondrial health how do we support your mitochondrial health how do you get the easiest take home is to make sure that you add veggies to all your meals and protein to all your meals whether you're plant-based or not make sure you don't just eat things out of a box but you add veggies and you add protein to all your meals and that you eat Yes. That's, that's such a big thing. So intermittent fasting is good for a lot of people. But when your body is going through a stressful period, yes, it's not ideal for no. perimenopause. Mm -hmm. And we, we can help you to, to get your, boost your metabolism. And you're going to do that by exercise. So let's get back to, because that's the next thing is, is what exercise. exercise. Exactly, yes. exercise. So um, they've looked at exercise and we want to really make sure that we counterbalance these symptoms of of menopause that are detracting from our exercise capacity so prolonged cardio doesn't seem to really tick the boxes anymore as we transition through perimenopause which is and hard beyond. for us both of us are marathon runners i've ran ultra marathons yes. so, so we are passionate about running we're not against endurance events but just looking at the research seeing our patients you know that is not the best for your body unfortunately exactly and so where the where the science has landed now is that it's sort of a combination approach mm. of uh definitely less is more um so resistance training and that means really heavy lifting um so you are only looking at three to five reps of, of pretty much a maximum weight that you can lift and your squats and your um deadlifts and your shoulder presses really target 
all the muscle groups arguably in your body so you've got three exercises and that's a lot of bang for your buck and then your short it's good maybe high intensity there. stuff yes i just want maybe want to pause there so ideally you can work with a personal trainer that's fantastic if you can get a personal trainer yeah. who's familiar with menopause that's awesome most of us don't have access to personal trainers if you don't, next one is you can look at someone reputable on YouTube and do exercises yourself. But I, what I teach my patients are those things that you said now. And to, to really maybe pause you and to practic practically for you, what you can do is um, squats. And the way you're going to do squats is you're going to stand against the wall and you're going to sit as if you want to sit on the toilet and then you're going to stand up again. And you're going to sit and this is you're going to keep your back against the wall. And every time you go to the washroom, you can think about that, is that you, because you want to, when you're older, you want to be able to get up. You don't want to have to press to push yourself up. If you already notice that when you get up on a chair, you have to push yourself up or you're sitting on it, you prefer a chair. Even for my waiting room, we now look at different chairs. I want beautiful, fashionable, beautiful chairs that doesn't have an arm raised. But the majority of people do need that arm raise to push themselves yeah. up. We don't want you to do that. We want you to make your legs stronger. The way you're gonna do that is by squats. So every time you go and sit on the toilet, remember that and go and sit and up and sit and up 10 times before you sit. It's gonna, in the morning when you get up, you can do squats against your wall with a straight back. Squats, the next thing is that, that, that you say to be able to press heavy weights, what you can do easiest is to do a plank exercise that, that's the easiest way to start. When you're strong enough for extra plan, it is ideal if you can hang your own body weight at a bar and then do pull-ups at your own weight. So that is even, even if you don't have access to weights, if you can just in your local park. I do it all the time when my kids do monkey bar. I just go and hang there and pull myself up. And maybe the first day you're just gonna hang. Yeah. And then as you get used to hanging your own weight, then you'll start to be able to pull up. And I think our goal, I must look back, but I think our goal at this age is to be able to pull your own body weight up 10 times, which is quite a lot. I'm very, very strong and I can't do that. So it is, but that's what's going to be the game. And you spoke about three exercises. It was the squats, your arms. And the deadlift. Oh, yeah. To get the posterior chain. Yeah. So up through the backs, because isn't this... Yeah very common posture yeah, yeah. and so the ability to pull back especially um, the muscles between your shoulder bla shoulder blades to strengthen all the muscles supporting your spine so that we don't fall into the sort of pattern with the dowager's hump um, and that's a very because that increases if you have osteopenia and osteoporosis those fracture lines are often along where there's a lot of strain on one single vertebra and that's the dowager's hump and then also along the thoracic spine so um, lifting heavy. I see that commonly for patients that I've met to hospital would be these compression fractures mm -hmm. in your back. But then also you won't get those compression fractures if your um, bones are strong. And we look at bones for calcium. We now know we don't need milk for calcium. Yeah. They the big studies where they found that people in, say, Finland, where they consume the most calcium, people have most osteoporosis. And then more Asian countries where they don't consume any milk, they have least osteoporosis. So we now know that myth, we don't need milk for our calcium, but make sure that you do get enough calcium from your diet. If you look at your diet and you really know you're not getting, make sure you take a calcium supplement with a vitamin D supplement. Vitamin D helps to absorb 
to make your bones thick, but then to get those bones strong, the way bones get strong is by that little bit of traction continuously that we do with weight exercises. And that is why, why it's important to do these squats, to do these back exercises, to also get where the muscle implant into the bones to get that strong. And they've done studies on uh, osteoporosis and found that two sets, one in the morning, one in the evening of 10 jumps a day, so literally just jumping up and landing on your heels, improve bone density throughout the whole body. That's incredible. Mm -hmm. See, that's something else you can do for free. Jumping. So jumping, we we want to jump less as we get older, fear of falling, etc. But it's counterintuitive and it's counter-effective, uh, really. So jumping, yeah, 10 in the morning, 10 in the evening. And that has is a very big... Uh, well, I'm going to Yeah, absolutely. So plyometrics, that's another thing. So high-intensity uh, cardio, short bursts, um, heavy weight lifting, yoga or any other flexibility exercises because we tend to stiffen up yeah. as we get older and then your plyometrics so sudden high impact landing really great for bone density nice thanks for that cool next question is talking about prescription medication and you know we, we've gone through it so much when we spoke when we did our full episode i, I think you covered because they ask a lot of things about prescription they ask um should I take the estrogen cream, gel, pill? Should, you know, and that is so specific. That that is something that we can't really answer on on a talk Broad. show like this mm. because it's going to be different for each and every one. You'll have to see your primary care provider, look at your risk factors, look at your symptoms, look how you're responding to things. And there isn't a right and a wrong. And, and I, I feel so sad when certain therapies get villainized. So people will sometimes say, oh, I want these symptoms treated but I just don't want those medication because it's so horrible and I don't but but to always keep things in context to see who, who are you what are your symptoms if you that was something that I actually found very hard through having babies and through breastfeeding you know because because people say oh this is right and that is wrong but it doesn't take in context that I'm a family physician who who's even though I have my own baby I have to deliver babies at night I don't have the ability to pump all the time. I don't have my baby with me to breastfeed. I think there is a lot of things that you must really see in your context. What does your work day look like? Maybe your sister did breeze through her menopause just with a fan because she was sitting at home and no one cared that she had to change her clothes 10 times a day. At work, it is harder to change your clothes 10 times a day because you're wet and drenched and sweat, you know? So it's so tailored. One of the questions is specifically about, um, I've never been depressed. My doctor wants me to go on an antidepressants now. If you are depressed, you need help. Mm -hmm. We can't really tell you what help you need. I have some patients who go on antidepressants and they do fantastic on it. They don't have to stay on it for life. They would likely just have to go on it through the perimenopausal phase. It does not mean I had a patient yesterday who told me that um, when she was going through burnout, her doctor didn't understand burnout. He just gave it antidepressant. She didn't do well on it. Of course not, because she wasn't depressed. She had burnout. But it was because of that thing 10 years ago that now she won't take antidepressants. So, so, so for me, it's always important not to have that black and white thinking. You are on a spectrum, your situation change. 
and and remember and remember these are not drugs that we're prescribing for the rest of your life yeah often they are just exactly they're for a moment in time they are to to allow you to get through the next six months and then you reassess and so i think having a good relationship with your healthcare provider Mm -hmm. and and that there is a bit of give and take and that these things are adjustable and that it's not a one-size-fits-all solution that can be really you know, just inspiring for a lot of women that this is just a means to an end. This is not a sentence for them. This is not the status quo for the rest of time. And what you mentioned about tracking your symptoms, that's on antidepressants. Mm-hmm. If I ever put a patient on antidepressants, I always insist that they journal. And for people who don't journal, I'll say just write a number. I want. I'll send them home with just a little printed out calendar and just write a number for every day. Because what sometimes can happen is people come in desperate. They need something, and I always first push lifestyle. So I say, okay, no wait. Before you can have antidepressants, you first need to look at your diet, your sleep, your relationships, who boosts you, and then I, I'm going to jump off a cliff if you don't give this to me now. Then I say, okay, but what is your number today? And when you start taking this med- medication journal or just write a number for every day and then if people get better now their numbers are three four three four and they get better and then their numbers are seven eight seven eight they might come back after six months and tell me oh this medication doesn't do anything i don't need it i'm going to stop it then i always say stop it is always always better to not use any medication if you don't need it because there isn't such a thing as a medication without side effects even the herbs botanicals adaptogens everything i prescribe we just use it to treat something. If there's not something, we don't treat it. But then what often happens is when they stop their medication, then the numbers start dropping again. Drop, 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 drop. And then, so it, it just helps you to more objectively yes, see, absolutely. did it help? Because we are so subjective, it's so hard. If we have a good day at work, life is good. When we have a horrible day, life is horrible. So it helps you. And, and I don't really decide ever for people if they t- must take medication or not. It's something you decide on your own. But just journaling will help you to more objectively see, do you need it? Are you benefiting? Are you benefiting enough? So I hope that answered your question on um, antidepressants. One thing we often prescribe is Vainla vaccine because that specifically has been studied for women during menopause helping with menopausal mood, improving sleep, and also specifically helping with vasomotor hot flushes. Clonidine is something that we give if it's only hot flushes, if it's not related to, if there's just the vasomotor symptoms, no other symptoms. And then, um, oh, lots of questions about medications that you got to chat with your doctor about your specific. So what are the long-term risks associated with menopause? Right, so we have identified estrogen as being heart protective, bone protective, brain protective, and... So it protects you against certain types of dementia, yes. vascular dementia, and protects you against um, osteoporosis and osteopenia. Yes. Um, and so, so the long-term effects then are the flip side of that. So osteoporosis is your big one, and then your cardiovascular risk factors, so stroke and heart heart attacks, heart disease. Um, and that all has to do with what estrogen does. So estrogen is an anabolic hormone, which means it promotes growth. Like I said, the fertilizer hormone. So it 
promotes bone turnover and, and promotion of, of bone density and growth. Mm. And so when we have lower less levels of estrogen, that turns more catabolic, which is the breakdown process. Yeah. Um, and then we, we are at an increased risk for osteopenia, which is just uh, low bone density and osteoporosis, which then becomes more problematic and can lead to fractures. And then cardiovascular wise, um, stroke and heart attacks because estrogen helps keep the arteries, the blood vessels, nice and soft. pliable and soft. And that it responds well to sort of changes in, in blood pressure and movement. And as the arteries thicken and harden, there's more plaque deposits. Mm. Um, and that, that is precursor of um, cardiovascular disease. And then we also find that a lot of women will say they get very dizzy when they stand up quickly. And so this change um, when the blood pressure changes as you get up quickly, because the arteries can't... They're more stiff. It's like exactly. a macaroni. That's more, uh, that got old, that's stiff and not soft. So it's less pliable. And so it, it can't adjust to these sudden pressure changes as well. And then you get this lightheaded... Because you need a feeling. higher blood pressure to pump blood all the way to your brain when you're standing than when you're yes. lying in bed. Absolutely. So and so it's a sudden change in, in posture that can um, drive these changes. So those are the two big ones. Many questions on hot flashes. Yes. Yes. So it is very common. Some things, what can we do if we want to manage this naturally? What can we do about what triggers a hot flash question and how do we navigate through it? Okay, so identifying what uh, comes before your hot flash can be really helpful. So is it intake of caffeine, alcohol, spicy food? So again, let's look at diet. Um, then what is the, what is your uh, if we're talking night sweats, what is your bedroom setup like? Yeah. Um, how try and keep the room as cool as possible. Use fans if needed. Have layers. layers. Have lots of cotton, lots of uh, natural, natural fibers. fibers rather than synthetic. Exactly. Um, and really, uh, for exercise, a lot of women find that they start getting hot flashes while exercising pre-hydrate with ice cold water to really keep your core temperature really low and then um, there's less of that response to start a hot flash that is very smart so i didn't know about this and then when i was doing because i do triathlon and i would see people at kona which is the iron manual championships in hawaii they will race with like these things in their clothes and i had like no idea what was wrong with these people and then when I was doing the Ironman Muskoka, suddenly while I was running and someone asked me uh, alongside the road, would you like ice? The thing you just dropped, they have like ice packs. So I put ice in my bra. Like I was just like pouring, and this wasn't even ice packs. It was just like yes. ice to drink. I was like, I said, yes, I want ice. I was just like pouring it into my running bra. And it makes such a big difference. And then if I look back my race time afterwards, my heart rate didn't even go significantly up. So my whole body was just like cool and comfortable. It was hot. Everyone was very hot day in yes. Muskoka. Running, everyone was hot and tired. But just that having that ice on my heart, like my heart rate cool and calm the whole time. And your thermoregulation center actually sits in your hypothalamus. So it's right at the back of your uh, near the brainstem. So if you put something cool along the back of your neck while exercising, your 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 body picks that up as sort of its main heat control center. So if that is feeling cool, it it finds it there's less necessity for these hot flashes because it's a thermoregulation abnormality that happens. Again, lowered estrogen keeps 
the thermostat going a bit more wonky. So the body tends to overact to stimuli. It, it notices possibly a small change in, in your body temperature. Because remember, your core doesn't want to get, a, get above 40 degrees. That's life-threatening. And so a small change and it overreacts. It wants to get rid of the heat and you have this massive vasodilation at your extremities. You sweat profusely and then your body goes, oh, sorry, my bad. That wasn't actually necessary. So what you will do practically when you feel a hot flush, you'll have your fan, you'll have your cold pack cool. that you're going to put yep. on your neck and you're going to breathe through Yes. This. So you're going to do your deep breathing exercises. You're going to stimulate your parasympathetic nervous system by stimulating your vagus nerve. That's going to tell your body this is okay. This is okay. Even though you don't feel okay, you're going to teach yourself how to teach your body that this is okay. And that will help your heart flashes to be less intense and shorter. Yes. Okay. And you can still have wholesome of my patients at the end of the day. We don't want to minimize the severity. We, we just want to help mm -hmm. you, guide you through it. Next question. Can menopause cause facial hair growth? Captain. Okay. So menopause means fluctuating hormones. So relatively speaking, if if estrogen and progesterone are relatively high, we can have a sort of a period of higher testosterone growth and testosterone is related to facial hair growth. So yes, we can. So um, pluck, wax, whatever you need to do, girls, to get rid of that. <laughs> and then is it, um, is having a hard time? Oh, oh, yes, that's a big one, brain fog. Mm -hmm. So the, the question is about concentrating and memory and things like that. But let's talk about concentration, being forgetful, brain fog. Okay. Good news is it's typically transient. It hasn't found to be a... Uh, Just because you now have memory impairment lapses. That is going to be for the rest of your life. It's exactly. It's transient. Mm -hmm. Okay. And it's through menopause. And it's more related to progesterone declining because progesterone is very calming to the brain. It helps us focus and um, jogs our memory. And so when progesterone is doing this, then we have the brain fog, the fuzziness, the loss of concentration, irritability. So it's, it's more the brainy kind of symptoms are related to progesterone. But the good news is that as estrogen and progesterone both level off at significantly lower levels postmenopausal, our cognition, our memory function uh, gets back up to speed and we and we have a memory as, as good as we did before. So that's quite helpful to know that it's a phase. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a lot of anxiety about this is, oh my goodness, you know, exactly. am I aging? Is this the new me? So that takes a lot of anxiety away. It does help to journal because people will say that I don't remember anything. So, and, and journaling help you to be objective, to be intentional, to know it's not that I'm forgetting everything. I was in that specific meeting and I blanked when I had to present to the board about ABC, I blanked, but that was in isolation. I could drive back home and cook dinner and there wasn't any memor other memory lapses. So, so to really write those, in, it, it really just helps. Yeah. If you just intentional about everything you do, it helps to take a lot of drama and anxiety out of, out of it absolutely and then we know that cognition is we can boost it by doing crossword puzzles yes. um learning a new skill learning a new language has been found that we can do that as as well as any 20 or 30 year old 
um, and and avoiding sort of the passive activities of um, Netflix watching, scrolling for hours screens. on your screen. But yes, so that's that's an uh, option that we have. Yeah, and, and that's quite a big one, and something that we both of us who you know do lifestyle medicine really encourage our our clients to go out, to go walk through trees, to get ecotherapy, to go because most of the passive things are not good for your brain. It's been shown that your concentration, all these things improve when you are outdoors. So to to be cognizant of that. It helps, helps us our speaking, yes, it does. We need to go outside too. Yes, but yes, get back on TV. And, and then also exercise. So when you are yes. getting out, getting your ecotherapy, go for the walk, combine two in one. It brings us to the next thing that a couple of questions regarding moodiness, anxiety, depression, I kind of couple these questions together. I think we want to go back to saying that if you are depressed, get help. Mm-hmm. Watching our YouTube videos, not going to cure depression, get help. There's a lot of things that you can do. If you do get help and your psychiatrist prescribes an antidepressant, yes, there's still so many things that you can do. Most of your happy hormones get secreted by your gut. Things can make you more anxious. If you are always in flight or fight response, because you're secreting cortisol, because you're stressed out, the way you're going to counter your anxiety, counter being stressed out, is by what you eat. It is by stimulating your parasympathetic nervous system. There's so much. I don't know if you want to add to that. There's resources on my website. You can have a look at wellnessmdhealth.com about breathing exercises, about healthy, eating healthy, doing things to counter your stress response. Yeah, I think one of the the fun things I give my clients is what do you do for yourself? I ask them what brings you joy. And I see a lot of moms and there's a panicked and then a blank look. And they're like, what do you mean? I said, no, what do you do in your day for you? And most of us women can't answer that question confidently. Or if we can, we do it once a month. And so that's often I'm, I'm like, that's the homework I'm going to start you off because when we do activities that bring us joy, we find that incredibly calming. And so rather than another to-do list, because freaking hell, we've got enough on our chore chart, doing something that brings joy, wow, like you want to do it. There's an there's an impetus there. And then it calms you, um, it clears your brain, it, it puts things into perspective. So it actually has a whole bunch of side effects really from one activity that can can really change the perception you have around your day and and what you are doing so that's a homework i give a lot of my clients is and that's very smart because it's different for different people Mm -hmm. and then even for me i enjoy running that gives me joy but now that i am running and i am competing now i have to follow a certain program to be able to compete at a certain level and now it sucks all the joy out of it and it makes it a work for me so when I look at, when I plan my year, when I plan my month, I say, oh, I want to run, I want to swim, I want to bike, because it gives me joy, it makes me happy, it balances my hormone, I want to do it. But then when I do set my alarm for five o'clock every morning to go train, it does suck the joy out of it. So, so to be very intentional, and the fact that your activity, that book club, did give you a lot of joy when you joined a year ago. Now, it's not giving you as much joy, because everyone is just drinking wine, and you're cutting back on wine because of your menopausal symptoms then you're going to stop that because you're not doing it to please everyone else yeah. at Book Club. You're looking at what you need at this phase in your life. And it doesn't mean that you're not going to rejoin your Book Club next year. It's just where you are now. 
So that's a big one. Jumping to the next topic, headaches. Okay. Headaches is a big one. Headaches. And difficult to really always bring back to menopause if, if they are... Okay, first of all, if they are very, very bad and very different to what you're accustomed to, seek medical help. Don't go that, to email. That, Don't email us, 911. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> enough calls. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, headaches, multifactorial. Um, there are so many reasons you could be having headaches. Yes, there is a link to hormones. We're not quite sure what it is, but if you have suffered from migraines around your uh, premenstrual PMSE things, then you might be more susceptible to hormones in your perimenopausal phase two. Next topic, we had a couple of questions about was vaginal dryness. And I don't want us to go through things we've already discussed in the initial mm -hmm. podcast because we spoke extensively about vaginal dryness, saying that it's not just about painful sex. Yeah, It's also that if you're you have less estrogen, and you mentioned that you're more plump with estrogen, your vaginal skin will get thinner because it's thinner. Oh, and also because of less estrogen, your pH change. Yes. But then it's also thinner. So the, the pH change, you can just on wiping get bacteria. That's the bacteria I most commonly get when my patients have urinary tract infections. We always culture. Before we just treat, we, we culture to see what type of infection there is then we, we tailor the treatment according to that bacteria. It's most typical bacteria that are on the skin or around the anus, normal bacteria that should be there. But now because of this thin vaginal wall, it got into the bladder. So it's not about being dirty. It's just about your skin being thinner, pH change. So the bacteria can cling to the wall easier, causing an infection. So vaginal dryness must be treated. Yes. We want to have that vaginal wall thicker. They are over-the-counter products we can buy. Absolutely. So we can... Hyaluronic acid uh, is in a lot of high-end face creams, and you can also get preparations uh, in forms of vaginal moisturizers that you apply every night to, to the vaginal entrance and also into the vaginal canal. Hyaluronic acid, and then there's also local estrogen suppositories, um, gels, and creams that we can apply that have a similar function that just help uh, thicken the skin thicken, a little bit, exactly. your body don't absorb it. It's just targeting Local. that area. Yes. Yes. And that brings us after the vagina to the bladder. And, and how does menopause affect my bladder? There was questions about urinary incontinence. And we did answer that already. Where, and, and that's your speciality as a pelvic physiotherapist. Is there is a lot we can do. And yes. I'm gonna just to make it quicker, say to go and look at your website. Perfect. Yes. Great. Yes. <laughs> because that is a big thing. You can do a lot of things. There are exercises you can do to get to help with bladder control. They so will you just maybe quickly run through the types of incontinence yes. that you get? So we have stress urinary incontinence, which is literally a loss of urine in response to a stress. And by stress I mean an impact, so not because you are feeling stressed. So it's a jump, a cough, a sneeze. Um, you just told people to jump ten times in the morning. So if you start doing it and you jump, 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 and, and then you leak, you come and see me. Okay, so that's stress urinary incontinence. Then you have urinary urge incontinence, which is you are feeling the urge to go, but your bladder overrides the pelvic floor, and you start leaking as you're unbuttoning or as you're going, as you are about to approach the washroom. 
So that's urge incontinence. Um, and then... Painful. We have... Oh, that's not incontinence. Yeah, painful so, urination. Exactly. So painful urination has a lot of uh, factors to it. So we need to dive into that because it, it can be a symptom of a urinary tract infection. And you might also need an exam because sometimes Absolutely. people will say that painful urination, I first say let's test, um, you might have an infection. Then they don't have an infection. Then I really need to go and have a look. Because mm-hmm. maybe there's a little bit of yeast, and now, but the yeast excoriated the urethra to such a degree that it's painful every time you're in pass, or your skin is just so thin from estrogen deficiency. So you will need an exam at a certain point Absolutely. to see what's happening there. Absolutely. And then we have nocturia as well, where people need to get up at night. Like we see it in males all the time with larger prostates. Yeah. But so nocturia, we no longer sort of pathologize if it's only once a night. I think it gets more problematic if it's a two or three times a night um, because your bladder should be able to hold the night volume of uh, fluid that it, that the body's um, creating. Um, and we just want to make sure that women are not going just in case because that's most of us. We pee just in case because of the social stigma attached to, to peeing in public. Boys can pee behind a tree and typically... No one bats an eyelid. It's a bit different for girls. There's a lot more social stuff happening with with females voiding. So um, going at night, just in case, we really want to nip that in the bud because the bladder can has a tendency to become overactive then. And then we're dealing with a whole bunch of other factors. So nocturia is something I have a discussion about, um, but it's not here to... And patients find it very upsetting if you woke five times for hot flashes or night sweats and now you woke as well for having to go to the washroom, that really impairs your quality of sleep, right? So so it is a big deal when you... Absolutely. So this is a very valid question. Okay. Ah, this question was talking a bit about hot flashes, but my hot flashes aren't as intense as the ones my friends describe. Is this normal? Yes. Celebrate. Enjoy the fact that your hot flashes are not as bad. Honestly, it's it's every woman's uh, symptoms are different. Um, I would also suggest that you speak to your friend and maybe have a check in with a with her GP about uh, checking in with her cardiovascular function because there have been correlations to the severity and um, of your hot flashes and cardiovascular events later in life. So if you know of someone who's really battling with them. Let get her to have a physical. Find out what's happening with her, with her heart and her arteries. Yes, yes, yes. And then it gets me. So I am having severe hot flushes. I do not want hormone replacement therapy. What can I do? Okay. Then we go through the whole thing of diet. What triggers them? Um, the bedroom setup, the cooling, um, making sure that you are dressed in layers, natural fibers, and then the whole bit about even taking something really cold, uh, an ice pack, even to bed with you, putting a cold uh, face cloth across your back of your neck. Um, uh, Exercise. But then if they have lifestyle perfect to the T, what do we give? So we can, there's some over-the-counter things we do, right? Sometimes vitamins, supplements, ibuprofen. Yes, I'm not as well versed in those in terms of like prescribing those. So there are options. There are definitely options. And then, um, and 
those would be typically if you're looking just for it yourself if your GP doesn't know well about it, black cohosh um, does help to reduce your sweats if it's more at night. Having some melatonin and, and valerian root helps to improve your quality of sleep. Will I start menopause if I have a hysterectomy? This specific question didn't say anything more about it, and you'll you'll have to talk to your doctor. It depends whether they're going to take your ovaries out mm -hmm. or not. If you get, it depends why you're getting this hysterectomy. If there is because there is cancer in your uterus, they will likely take your ovaries out as well. We call that an ovarectomy. If you do not have cancer, then Typically, what we do here in Canada is to leave the ovaries because it protects your heart, protects your bones, and then you will not go through menopause with the operation. Exactly. Can I get pregnant during menopause? And we did speak about yes. that. Yes. 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 yes, you can. Then my skin is itchy and it has aged so much since becoming menopausal. What can I do about this aging skin? And I think you did address it. It's because of that collagen in your skin. That is, and that is exactly when you look at someone younger skin that is more like plump and as you get older it, you have less elasticity in your skin your skin thins and that's often why it becomes more itchy absolutely you must also then be more careful with the products you use please use the yuka app y-u-k-a scan all your beauty products you can look at the website ewg.org it stands for environmentalworkinggroup.org has a list of safe beauty products so you could have used beauty products your whole life but that didn't bug you but now that your skin is thinner it's easier to go through the layers into your deeper layers of skin can be harmful we always advise products that has no perfume no color really plain clear petroleum jelly vaseline to to focus on those things for moisturizing your soaps even your laundry detergent can now cause itching even if it did not cause mm. itchiness before menopause libido getting back to libido ever since my period stopped my desire for sex has decreased is this normal mm, it's common uh I don't like normalizing it because uh, there are a lot of factors that play into libido. And you and can enjoy sex. We have many clients that's very happy with an awesome sex life. So you can enjoy absolutely. sex after menopause. Also, fun fact. Um, painful is not normal if it's painful to see someone. Absolutely. But your vagina um, performs or does better with if you have regular sex or orgasms. So we're getting a lot of blood flow to the area. The vaginal tissue um, remains um, better moisturized. It, the vagina, the vaginal opening um, doesn't sort of, for want of a word, close up or become very, um, very uh, sensitive, the skin. So lots of sex throughout the lifespan. It, Yes. And orgasms, and it doesn't Does have well. to be, yes. It, Through penetrative intercourse, exactly. We can use vibrators and that kind of thing yes. to also get. Yes, you don't need a partner for that. You, you do your own thing. Yes. And then, <laughs> I think I think to end off, is to say that menopause is, is it amazing it's really a deep spiritual phase. It's it's an awakening. When I went through puberty, my mom bought me a big bouquet of flowers and box of chocolates because I'm now becoming a woman. We have to celebrate that when we go through menopause. It's really a, it's a spiritual phase. It's awakening. 
you rewire, you can rewire your brain. That's the most incredible thing with neuroplasticity yes. that you now have control. You can think, who do I want to be when I'm 80, when I'm 90 years old? You can be who you want to be. You are going to be who you make choices now that's going to determine who you are going to be at 80, 90. Are you going to be just miserable and grumpy or are you going to be this person full of wisdom who's going to uplift the generation after you, who's making this world a better place? The power is so in your hands and this is such a beautiful face to go and look back. And, and I really love that quote by Oprah Winfrey. I, I think I'll put it in the description below. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you. It <laughs> was fun. We love to hear from our listeners. Please like and subscribe. Click the button to get notifications when I have another YouTube video coming out. Like and subscribe. You can follow me on social, LinkedIn, Facebook, Pinterest. I'm like, if it's social media, I'm on there. You can follow, follow Gerda. We'll put our hashtags in the description below, all our links to follow us. And send us messages. You see that I answer all your questions for our next, for our next, um, and, and this, I'm going to talk about this more because it's, I'm so passionate about normalizing this, educating people. I honestly feel we need the same curriculum that people have about puberty. We need this. We need more education out there. And we talk about this a lot, but I have patients from different cultures who tell me that, oh no, they didn't get menopause. It's a white person's problem. And I'm like, oh my friend, you're going to get menopause. But then I'm their only, I'm their only way to talk about, the only person to talk about menopause because in their culture, they don't talk about menopause with their mom, with family. They don't have that community. So I'm very passionate about normalizing it. People do go through it. And how do we make the best of it? How do we thrive through it? How do we go really with optimal health through it? Yes. Thank you so much. Thanks for your time, Gera. I appreciate You're you. You're welcome. Take care. Bye.